Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. London Bridge is falling down Stranger woman tries to say What a man will try to drown And he's the rain that they predicted It's the forecast every time The rose has died because you picked it I believe that brand is mine And all over the world Strangers talk only about the weather Yes, we've had some weather. Seems to be mostly over right now. Uh, I hope uh, it wasn't too hard on you. Hope you didn't lose power, all that stuff. But we are here to do Ask or Tell Me Anything. 888-720-WNPR. People have already called in. 888-720-9677. You can bring up anything you want. And people have and will and do. Can I just, before we begin, I just want to say, (laughs) you know, when, one odd thing about social media is you can just put something on social media as a joke, and people will know it's a, I mean, ideally, under ideal circumstances, people will get that as a joke. But they also might sort of, you know, play it out a little bit for you. So I was just noticing that Wonka, which is, I guess, a prequel to Willy Wonka. Can I also say I've never seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory? I've never seen any Wonka product at all. Um and one of these days, we should do a show on just, like, how everybody has these kind of foundational movies that they've never seen. <laughs> I mean, I've got, like, ten movies that everybody's seen that I have still never seen. I hadn't seen Top Gun until quite recently. Anyway, I'm getting far afield here. There's a prequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's called Wonka. just Wonka. And it stars uh, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, and it's uh, Timothée Chalamet. I don't know. Um, and um, so I was suggesting that if you're gonna, they're going to do stuff like that, just take a character from children's entertainment and release it with the title like Wonka. Like what's next? Fud? Boop? Uh, perhaps uh, <laughs> Poppins? Underpants? As in Captain Underpants. But anyway, people got really excited about the idea of a movie called FUD, uh, and they think it should be like an origin story kind of movie. You just like go into, you know, FUD's past. How did he become who he is? Uh, live action, probably. Um, then, of course, at some point, if it's going to be about how he became who he is, at some point, he's going to have to say, Woe's Bud. Oh, Woe's Bud. It was my sweat. I loved it. Um, <laughs> anyway, 
Now I want to spec the script somehow. You know, I really do. There really might be something there. Anyway, coming to a theater near you in like five years. FUD. <laughs> Not to be confused with HUD. All right. We're going to go to the phones right now. You can call in. You can ask anything. You can say anything. Tell anything. Well, within reason. Try to try to fit your head through the Overton window. Uh, 888-720-WNPR. And here we go with Michael from Avon. Michael, you are the first caller of the day. Thank you, Colin. I don't know that AZ FUD has really done enough to have a movie about her. <laughs> that yet. would be interesting casting, though. Maybe she's that's who broke his heart. You know, she <sighs> beat she beat him in a free throw contest. She didn't love him. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. Uh, Brilliant. Let's get some people on. Yes, that's right. Let's go to the writers room right now. Okay, continue. Uh, I'm sure you saw, or at least familiar with, the most recent Atlantic yes. issue, sort of listing all the, the the potential atrocities of a second Trump term. So, with that as a backdrop, I wanted to ask you: given the importance of commerce in this country and profit and business, you know, do you believe that should there be a second Trump term, like to what degree do you believe that American business and profit and you know, getting money from customers? would be sort of a protection against some of the anti-democratic realities that may come to pass. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question and an interesting perspective. I, I'm not sure that I'm 100% down with the premise of it. I mean, it seems to me that capitalist uh, economies can function under any number of different kinds of government, and it could be argued that in certain societies, they do better with a lot of stability and predictability mm. as long as they, you know. I mean, I always feel as though our capitalist overlords, they just want to know where the sun is coming up. If it's going to come up, if it's going to rise in the West and set in the East, fine, just tell us. Um, now, one of the things they didn't like about Trump, and I think that became pretty clear over the course of those four years, was his level of unpredictability. You know, like from moment to moment, they didn't know what he was going to do. It wasn't so much that they objected. <laughs> uh, but because right. you, you had Tillerson and people like that, you know, you you had, uh, I mean, look at his cabinet. It was like full of, you know, American plutocrats. Um, and... You know, but I I think the unpredictability unpredictability is something that they don't like. The stuff that the Atlantic is talking about, and that other people are talking about right now, and the stuff that he's feeding, you know, I'm going to be a, a dictator just for one day. The first day, I'm still parsing that one a little bit. But um, <laughs> like, if you're a, if you're a thorough enough dictator on the first day, you just don't have to be one after that because. Everybody who was ever going to give you any trouble is like either in jail or dead. I, I don't even know what that means. But, you know, and all this stuff about poisoning the bloodstream and all this stuff. I he's He is now dangling. You know, it's kind of that, you know, when they tell you who they are, believe them. He's certainly dangling that idea. What What business would be able to do about that? I don't really know. I mean, I, well, I, I'm thinking back to all those. I don't know if you remember, but you know, late in his first term, there was there. I think when some people had decided that he had gone too far, there like people pulled advertising, and they didn't. You know, people pulled polit people. I say people, I mean corporate entities pulled political donations from Republicans, and I just. But of course, I think that was pretty short lived. You know, I think that was maybe maybe to appeal to their customers, and I guess it's on the basis of that that I'm wondering if they feel their customer base is in jeopardy. You know, Michael Jordan, right? Republicans buy sneakers, too. So if they feel like their customer base is going to be undermined, do you think they would take any action to help us? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, this is something that I promised to think about at greater length, but what I would say off the top of my head is the whole point of being a dictator is that you don't have to worry about stuff like this uh, or mm. being an autocrat. You don't have to worry about stuff like this. You don't have to worry about political advertising. You're never going to have any again. Yes, mm. maybe Mitch McConnell and you know, and the you know Republican National uh, Congressional Committee and stuff like that, they, they might have to worry about uh, advertising, but there's no real evidence that Trump cares about that kind of stuff either. He's not a team guy, really. You know, he's he's a one man show. Uh, And so it's a really interesting question. Like what I think it would take so long for business to have some kind of consensus about what the problem was and what to do about it and whether to speak as one with one voice about it or how to speak as one with one voice about it. He would have to be doing some really egregious stuff, which we know he will do if he's president. But um, I mean, it's it's, it's a safe bet. But. I just, you know, it's it'll be. An, I'm very interested in, in your question. I don't know the answer. My my gut and and what little can be gleaned from 2017 to 2021 is that you know, I, I, he's very hard to rein in once he gets going, uh, and yeah. and it's it's unclear to me. I mean, also the point of being a populist leader like this is that you don't. I mean, you're not really much of a populist leader if, you know, Exxon and Amazon and Apple can rein you in. Um, so, you know, I, I, so I don't know. Um, I do want to point out that I've read two articles this morning, <laughs> this morning two different or- articles about why populist leaders have crazy hair. It's not just Trump and Boris Johnson. Now there's uh, Geert Wilders in the Netherlands and uh, uh, Javier Millet, the guy in uh, in Argentina. Are, Geert, Geert, Geert Wilders kind of has he kind of has American televangelist hair. Uh, and then the Ar- the guy in Argentina, he's sort of got this is Spinal Tap, you know, backup drummer hair or something. Um, but it's just weird. They, I don't know. Uh, it bears great it, thinking it means about. I have no future as a as a dictator <laughs> due, due to my follicle challenged head. Well, you know, you know that that there that time comes too. There's a time and a season for everything. So says Ecclesiastes. All right, we're going to thank you, Michael, for your call. Very thoughtful, very interesting call, and certainly one worth pondering. I don't really see it. You know. I don't think that's where the check is going to come from, if there's any check uh, that balances him. Uh, now on to Helga from beautiful Glastonbury. Hi, Helga. Hey, Colin. Long, long time listener. I remember when you were TIC. I remember that too, but only vaguely. Uh, I've also read all your books. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> I'm I, terribly I, sorry. I, that I, I've been, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan from clear before you were on the radio when you were just writing in the newspaper. Uh, I loved your column. Well, You're thank one you. Of the most th- insightful and beautiful writers that uh, I have known in my life. My other hero from the current is John Lacey. Oh, John! John was a great man. Uh, I was very fond of him too. I hang, but... out, I hang out with his son. Ah, well, say hi. Uh, and I'm sorry, and, my my uh, books were not better. But uh, oh, I, they were awesome. <laughs> you, you have you have a unique way of writing that yeah. I, just, I I enjoy. Well, because we knew there was someone who thought that. Apparently, it's you. So you, you bring back the Connecticut spirit of Mark Twain. Yeah, and a lot, and to a large degree. Um, all right. So I also have five. I also have five books in print. That's why I have a YouTube channel. Oh, you have a YouTube channel, and YouTube is what you want to talk about. Having a whole. Um, I'm having a bit of. Uh, uh, I'm questioning their counting of views. Mm-hmm. Now, I also post a show the YouTube link on Facebook and send it out to about a hundred people on Facebook. 
mm-hmm. on Facebook Messenger, basically. And I tell people to like and subscribe at the end of the show. Uh, I get probably that the people that say that they're watching, I should be getting two, three hundred views a day. Anyway, it's a daily show. It's a, it's a show, basically it's a talk show with two transgender women talking about life as a transgender in America and life on Social Security and a pension. Yes. Yeah, we're basically doing it out of our own pocket. So we can't edit, we can't rehearse, and we're trying to bring back the spirit of 50s TV. Yes. Where it was unrehearsed. And uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. Uh, my co-host is a lady named Lisa Boswell. She mm. used to be a uh, radio, t- radio and TV personality down in South Carolina. Okay. So, but at, the, at the risk of hurrying you along a little bit anyway, so the pro, what it, you feel as though the algorithm is not treating you fairly, the yeah, YouTube the algorithm? Al- the, it seems to be that they only want virgin views or views from subscriptions. Uh, to count because and, and how many, well, ultimately, how many, how many virgins are going to be willing to watch your YouTube channel anyway? You know, uh, it's pretty much, it's pretty much adult. And uh, now I've been I've been working off and on for 60 years on stage and mostly doing stand up. I kill him. I kill him in the uh, in the uh, open mics. I, I do really good in the open mics and somewhat of a, somewhat of a legend at the local open mics because uh, hecklers leave the room crying. Right. Yeah. So, I just, but. Uh, that's a, that's a whole other story. Yes, that is a, that is a whole other. And just, you know, because there are other callers and stuff, but I don't I want to try I to keep that, you. I feel, that, uh, I feel that YouTube is cheating me because uh, I, I'm not getting the views. And, I, in fact, I tried clicking from 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 uh, off of a Facebook link, and sure enough, it didn't count up in the views. Okay, so the, so that's the weird that, the thing that you're concerned about. I mean, which is... I mean, there's so many things to be concerned about with, first of all, I, I don't know why you would be distrustful of American social media. Uh, I mean, it's obviously a very well-regulated sector of our society uh, and one that has, uh, you know, strong standards and compunctions uh, about its own behavior. That was a joke. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, I'll just sort of say, tell you where I start on all this. Whenever I'm dealing with the tech sector, the first thing that I think of, if there's anything problematic happening, is it's not a very well-regulated it, – it's, it's, it's not regulated in a way that's commensurate with its power and influence. And so that's always dangerous uh, and, and bad things will happen. That's step one. Um, step two uh, is that it, yeah, it does whatever it wants to do until it gets caught. And what we know from Francis Haugen, the, the whistleblower on Meta – was that they, you know they say one thing and they do another? I mean that's a different company from from YouTube. Um, I don't I don't know. Uh, my guess is that if you think your hits are not being counted, you, you might be right. Um, just in the same sense that really since Musk took over Twitter and changed it to X, nobody can figure out like you know why do you lose followers all of a sudden? Why does this happen? What is that? I mean it isn't. It really is like the. The mirrors, uh, you know, at the end of uh, Lady from Shanghai or something. You just can't. You don't know what you're doing. Um, I, to me, it's not, those aren't the concerns about and uh, about the 
YouTube algorithm. The problem with the YouTube algorithm, and they claim that they've adjusted this and fixed this, although I don't really know how you can and preserve the nature of the algorithm. So one of the things that the algorithm does pretty well is track you, the user, and figure out what you would probably like to see in that right-hand menu, given all the stuff that you typically watch. which is fine. And most people like that, right? You're looking at one thing on YouTube and you look over on the right-hand side and there are a lot of things that you do think you would probably like. And, and so that's just YouTube making you happy, right? The difficulty in the past has been that if you look at certain let's – say, let's say that you entertain the possibility that 9-11 was not in fact conducted in a way – commensurate or – I mean, no, I'm saying it the wrong way. This is like 9 the, – the official account of 9-11 is not on the up and up. Let's say that you, you at least toy with that idea and you watch a couple of videos about it. The problem in the past is then you were going to start getting flat earth videos and anti-vaxxer video, videos and Sandy Hook false flag videos that that's the way the algorithm works. <laughs> And and they say that they've adjusted that and fixed that. Although when you think about it, it's kind of, sort of hard to believe that because that's exactly what the algorithm does do. It looks at things you like and then says to itself, what are some other things like this? Um, which is also uh, – it's another problem, which, which is that you are encouraged to constantly kind of follow your own predilections as opposed to look at anything – that might contradict what you believe or lead you in a new direction. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, it is essentially a tool that only builds rabbit holes. Um, but anyway, good luck. Good luck with the, with, the pod, with the, you know, YouTube show. And good luck with Open Mic Night and Godspeed. And I'm sorry, my books are not better. Um, no matter what he says. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, here's Mendel from West Hartford. Uh, Mendel, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, Colin? I'm just fine. Great. I, I can't believe that you've never seen the original Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's one of my top five favorite movies. Is it really? It is. It is. I, I feel... Scene, I, I, the scene I, where they're doing the lickable wallpaper. Yeah, I don't know goes, that scene. A, well, anyway, he goes, lick a snozberry. Tastes like a snozberry. And Veruca Salt, who is this awful little young woman, goes, who's ever heard of a snozberry? And he goes, we are the dreamers of dreams, and we are the music makers. That's a great line, man. I'm getting chills. Um, the I like I know the name Veruca Salt, and I know the term Oompa Loompa and stuff. Because it's, I mean, there are certain movies that if you don't see them, you're nonetheless confronted with just stuff from them, tropes from them, names from them. And I think right. Willy Wonka would be in that category. And I will say that I am, um, I, I love that. Uh, I believe it's by Anthony Newley and Leslie Bracuse. Uh, but you know, come with me and you'll be. Oh, yeah. oh, That's yeah. a great a song. What a lovely it. melody that is! And oh my it, god, it's so good. Yeah. And, see, and yeah, then, I don't uh, need to see the movie. I I know most of it already without seeing it. It's like the I, Kardashians. You don't ever have to watch the Kardashians. You don't have to watch it. No. You, I saw this, osmosis. I had this idea the other day um, of. The two people or characters in the world with the strangest voices, and I thought of Christopher Walken doing the Rainbow Connection, and it would go something like this. Why on this song about rainbows, and what's on the other side? That's very good, actually. And it's, it is, you know, it's certainly as funny as uh, Elmer Fudd saying Rosebud, and probably more funny. Exactly. Anyway, um, 
Uh, are you aware of the band The Misfits? Only I'm about as aware of The Misfits as I am of Veruca Salt. Okay. Well, uh, there was also a band called Veruca Salt. Um, <laughs> but uh, I told you this was a rabbit hole. I told you we live in a rabbit hole. Anyway, continue. Okay. Anyway, the uh, the song was the the screenplay for the movie Alien was written in 1976, and the song uh, Hybrid Moments by The Misfits was recorded in 1978, and the movie Alien came out in 1979, and the lyrics to the song, I think, are the complete and total description of the movie. All right. We're going to hear a little bit of the song right now. We'll see if Mendel is correct. Uh, there may okay. be language in this song that will disturb you. I'm just warning you in advance of that. Cat, you should have A1 or 1A or something like that in there. If so, please play it. You're right, except it doesn't mention the cat. The cat, the cat, the cat's not in the song at all. No, uh, the cat, Chalmers, Chalmers, he's not in the. No, he's not, not in the song. So clearly, Ridley Scott, this is a work of pure imagination by Ridley Scott. It's not based on a song by the Misfits. I'm just saying. Well, no, 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 no. It's the other way around. Oh, the song is based on the movie. Oh, I, think. I thought you because were they, okay. They did all kinds of like B horror themes, like a song called Vampira and like other kind of things like that. But the opening line is, if you're going to scream, scream with me. And the byline or the subtitle to the movie was. Uh, In outer space, you know, no one can hear you scream. Exactly. Right. And then that thing gets on John Hurt's face and, you know, R-A-P-E's his face. Yeah. And then hybrids open up the door and the synthetic guy on the ship is the one that decided to open up the door and let him in. All right. I think you've got a point. Uh, I'm not sure what that point is worth exactly. Um, I like the Christopher Walken Rainbow Connection part of your call better. But uh, but as we say, it is called Ask or Tell Me Anything. You are allowed to call up and ask or tell me anything. We have lots of open lines right now. I've got Mr. Carpa envelopes with me in case, those thing, in case things get slow on the phones. The number to call, and I'm going to take a break right here so you have time to call, 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. Those are both the same number. We'll take a break, and we'll come back after this. Every time it rains, it rains pennies from heaven. Don't you know each cloud contains pennies from heaven? You'll find your fortune falling all over town. Be sure that your umbrella Support for this podcast comes from Hartford Healthcare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford Healthcare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. 
So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. All right, we're back. It's Ask or Tell Me Anything. At the moment, I don't have any calls. I mean, that doesn't bother me or worry me. I'm just sort of telling you that. But if you were thinking, I'm not going to call up because I'll never get on the air, you are probably incorrect. The number is 888-720-WNPR, 888-720-9677. See, when I picked all the music for this song, it was still raining. <laughs> and I think the music is going to seem somewhat inappropriate now. But we can get past that together. So um, over the weekend, one of our uh, sister shows, uh, Audacious with Guyon Wolf, they did a really excellent episode about um, Costco and Trader Joe's. Um, and I could have been on that episode because I really I have strong feelings and I have an immersive experience um, at Costco. And then at Trader Joe's, I've discovered, because I occasionally have to go to Glastonbury these days, the Glastonbury Trader Joe's is just... It is just a celebration of life. That's what it is. I'm always so happy when I'm there. Um, and uh, but I want to talk about the, an experience. <laughs> I want to talk about an experience that I had on Sunday. I have so many different layers. By the way, I'm just doing this until you call in about something else. But uh, and the number once again eight 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 seven two zero WNPR eight 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 seven two zero nine six seven seven. I also have envelopes packed and sealed for me by Mr. Carp, my college friend. Uh, possibly the smartest person who went to Yale while I was there. Um, and he just uh, he sends clippings. He doesn't offer any explanation of why these clippings are in my envelope. But I have them. I can open them up, and that could be another way that we can find things to talk about. But I would like to talk about a couple of things about Costco right now. So so <laughs> my life is just unbelievably exciting. I, that's one thing I want to say. I am out there, and I am, I am living my best life. So uh, on Sunday, living my... <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is so sad. Uh, living my best life involved going to Costco. I had made an appointment at Costco to have new tires put on my car. I had bought the tires from Costco online, and then you schedule an appointment. And then you, get, you go and you deal with the tire guy there. Now, the tire guy at Costco, I've become obsessed with him and fascinated by him, although I think he doesn't like me. And But I, if you follow me on Facebook, you might know this, that a few weeks ago when I was first beginning my inquiry into getting tires um, – oh, that's going to be a good one. It's a good, good call for Matt here. But, uh, so I'll, do, I'll make this fast. Uh, so when I first began to make my inquiry into doing tires, I was there at the desk and there was a woman ahead of me 
And she said she didn't know whether she needed new tires. Did she have a bad alignment? She just didn't know. And she didn't know anything about tires. And so the tire guy, the head of the head of the tire part, I think that's what he is. I think he's like the head tire guy. He took her keys and he went out and he um, checked her car. I don't know if he drove it or not, but um, and he came back and he said, uh, "He said your alignment isn't too bad. You take a lot of U-turns." And she said, "I do." And I said spontaneously, "He can also tie you to three unsolved homicides. He can tell so much. He's the Columbo of tires." Uh, and he did sort of shrug and say, "Yeah, you can tell a lot by looking at tires." So that's the tire guy, and, and I don't think he likes me. Uh, and I don't think he thought the Columbo stuff was funny. But anyway, I was back there on Sunday. And this is a really interesting thing that I think has applications elsewhere in society. It's an, it's a question that I haven't thought about before. But <laughs> what, the t- what the tire guy does. Cool. Well, I was, first of all, I did sort of an intake with a younger guy w- there. And so he got, you know, he saw that I had a reservation that my tires put on and stuff like that. So this is a very exciting story. I realized this is not a life many of you get to live. I'm kind of the Robin Leach of auto care. And um, so um, he said, fine. And I said, just a guesstimate how long it's going to take. And he said, uh, an hour and a half. And then the, the head tire guy, the Colombo guy, came up and said, two hours, two hours. We got two walk-ins. We got three people with appointments. You know, and I said, well, I'm one of the people with appointments. Um, and basically, two, probably two hours. Well, first of all, my tires were on in 50 minutes. That's how long it took to put the, put the tires on. And I think I've watched him a little bit. I've studied him. I'm, obs- I'm obsessed with him. I followed him home a couple of nights. And I know I didn't do that. <laughs> I think he's all about managing expectations, but I think he takes it too far, right? Like if you say two hours and it's really going to take 50 minutes, I understand why you might say an hour and a half in case it takes longer than you thought it was going to, and you don't want the person to be standing there. T- I mean, that's what managing expectations is. We know what that, mean, that, what that term means. But you can go too far. Why doesn't you just say, it'll take all day, come back at five? <laughs> uh, I mean, because that's, you have to give people some reasonable framework. I mean, I was thinking about doing all kinds of things to pass the two hours after I'd bought everything that I didn't really need at Costco. Um, I was going to I was gonna look at every one, every sheet, every, every one of those 8,000 sheets of paper towel that I'd bought in that one big package to see if there were any secret messages on them. Uh, anyway, that's all. I just feel like managing expectations, it needs to be taught better in the schools. <laughs> and you shouldn't say two hours if it's going to be 50 minutes. Because, I mean, I was very happy to get my car back in 50 minutes, but it was just, you know, you see what I'm saying here. All right. Uh, lots of calls here. I'm going to go right down the queue here. Start with Matt from Hamden. We got Eric. We got Jim. We got Caitlin. All right, Matt, you have the floor. Okay, yeah. How are you doing? I'm just fine. Okay, that was my, no, that wasn't my question. <laughs> um, what I want to know is who do you think was the best politician in Connecticut's history? Well... And don't say Joe Lieberman. No, I, that will, I would, you, you're safe from that. Um, first of all, do you mean best politician? So what I, what, to me, best politician means who's really good at operating politically as opposed to like who is the best leader or senator or governor or something like that. I mean, the best governor of my lifetime is, was Ella Grasso, followed more closely than one might suppose by maybe by Dan Malloy. But um, but that's not about but they were both kind of bad politicians. So you see the distinction I'm making here, and then I will I'll ask you which 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 thing does your question mean? 
I was thinking you could define it as you wished. Okay. Um, well, I mean, I, I would say that one of the most interesting politicians, and he's a little bit before my time, uh, is a guy named uh, Raymond Baldwin, who I believe held just about every possible thing you could be. I mean, he was like governor and U.S. senator. I think he might have been on the state Supreme Court and stuff like that. That He certainly is sort of the... You know, the guy who could play all the positions. He's the, uh, the Shohei Otani uh, of Connecticut politics. But, you know, I think I am going to say Grasso. I mean, you know, think about Ella Grasso. 1970s, women governors were kind of almost like not a thing, you know. Uh, and you have this woman who is not particularly charismatic um, and has all kinds of little quirks and oddities, personal quirks and oddities, including, and I, this is going to sound all wrong, but it really is true. She, she just was a woman who, she was not the least bit interested in fashion at all. And so um, she just, you know, often showed up that things dressed kind of maybe sort of inappropriately or like, why did you pick that thing to wear? Uh, and I know that that's an unfair way to judge a woman leader because we don't do that with men unless it's John Fetterman. But, you know, Grasso really wasn't a very, a very effective governor. She cared a lot about doing a good job. I mean, she cer- certainly didn't hesitate to chew out her people if they weren't doing a good job. But there was a real commitment, I, I think, to, you know, having an, a good and effective government. And, and I give her a lot of credit for that. So, I, I you know, I'd go with Ella Grasso. I mean, I don't really know how good a governor, you know, Thomas Wells was in the 1600s or something. And, I mean, the, you know, the, the most interesting governors were probably Wilbur Cross. And then there was this guy, Wilbert Snow, who was, I think, very briefly our governor. And, I mean, he was like a legit poet, I think, like a for real legit poet and academic and stuff like that. We've had some very interesting people as governors who don't really fit the mold. Um but I'm going to say Ella Grasso. I don't know. Is that a satisfactory answer? I was wondering if you would say Ella Grasso. There are a lot of politicians that I've never heard of. I was just, just kind of curious is all. She That's didn't like me. So it isn't like, you know, I'm not saying this out of deep affection. She really didn't <laughs> like me. Uh, I have a picture of her and me wearing army helmets. <laughs> well, she's inspecting Fort Drum, and I was tagging along with her, and she didn't speak to me the whole day. She was furious at me, <laughs> and we were, like, riding around in little helicopters and stuff. You know, I mean, you can't really talk to anybody on a helicopter, but, I mean, she just wouldn't even acknowledge my existence for an entire day of close proximity. Um, but I think she was a pretty good governor, uh, and I'm proud to stick up for her, even if she didn't like me. All right, here comes uh, Eric from Cheshire. Hi, Eric. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Uh, I'm calling about a uh, nose denose uh, podcast that you had uh, about a week ago. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, part of which concerned uh, the assassination of John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think that I'm I'm really glad that you had uh, a program about that because I think that uh, his history is is very relevant uh in this day and age uh of course um i don't know whether you mentioned the fact that that he uh stated that that the beatles were more powerful than jesus and uh, i think it was more popular yeah he was more popular i'm sorry yeah, yeah correct uh than jesus and and the reaction from uh the bible belt about that uh, but um, you know, I um, I think he was just having a laugh. You know, I don't I don't think he really meant it. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. But anyway, um, I appreciate uh, John Lennon for 
uh, his song Imagine, which I've memorized the lyrics to and I practice every day. <laughs> um, I, I think it, uh, the lyrics really um, reveals a deep truth, uh, a philosophical truth uh, about the uh, root causes of so much uh, violence and human suffering. Uh, you know, particularly the first, well, I, sh- I should say the whole thing, but uh, the first uh, paragraph of the lyrics basically states, you know, imagine there's no heaven and no hell mm. that exists as entities outside of the human imagination. Uh, and imagine all the people living for today. Yeah, no, I, I'll just, I'll just let me say this. First of all, I salute you. I salute for you for keeping the spirit of that song alive. I have to be honest and say, to me, it's the over the somewhere over the rainbow of rock. They just yeah. got played so much that it stopped meaning anything to me anyway. It just became kind of a wallpaper thing because, I mean, it was a very brilliant song when it first came out. I think it's been overused and probably also kind of wallpapered on to things that it didn't really apply to or where it didn't belong. But but I, I totally agree that if if you heard it for the first time today, it would blow your mind. You know, I, I, I get that entirely. I kind of have reached a point where I don't like it that much, but I salute you for liking it and caring about it and caring about it every single day. That's a beautiful thing to do for a song is to kind of be its gardener. Um, I do feel as though, like, I want John Lennon here now. Um, I, I, what they've done in the TV series For All Mankind, which is an alternative history of the space program where things go differently. And one of the other things that goes differently is that John Lennon doesn't get killed. Um, uh, two, two interesting little variables that they made. One of them is that Chappaquiddick doesn't happen. Teddy Kennedy then gets elected president. And John Lennon doesn't get killed. So he's there. I mean, they don't make a big deal out of this. He's not, you know, in every episode or anything. And he's never – nobody plays him as a character. But um, you just – really feel as though his commentary, that's what they do in For All Mankind. You just have Lennon commenting on stuff. And and I, I in, in a way that I maybe never even would have acknowledged before, I do feel it would be really, really interesting to hear, you know, his mordant, mordant and, and insightful commentary on, on everything uh, and that we, we do suffer from his absence. And I think for people who are really young, it's almost impossible to convey that. Um, I, you know, I think the Beatles are kind of annoying if you're, <laughs> if you're say younger than I don't know fifty. Um, just hearing about the Beatles from people who are my age uh, is tiresome. But it really is true. I think that you know it would be wonderful to have him here, not for Imagine, but for the new things that he would say uh, and and the new songs that he would write. All right, we're gonna go over to Caitlin in Hamden. Speaking of young people, hi, Caitlin. Oh, hi. I was going to say, I'm not tired by the Beatles. Okay. <laughs> and I'm under 50. So. All right. That's good, I think. I think that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I Actually, I called just because you were kind of like floundering, and I've, I'm always a I want to help person. I, I love to flounder. I, I love floundering. You should never feel like you have to come to my rescue. One thing the producers know is that nothing would make me happier than to talk for 50 minutes. <laughs> so so it's okay. But anyway, thank you for calling. Thank you for the impulse. No, no problem. I, when they asked me what I was going to call about, the first thing that came to my mind was 
Um, I guess I could talk about how I'm a millennial, millennial in a perpetual state of existential dread, but that's sad. Well, no, I think that is worth talking about. I mean, I think, first of all, it's a very real thing, and, and I, I, I get it. I notice it, and I, um, well, I don't know. I don't like to talk out of school. Actually, I do like to talk out of school. But first of all, Jonathan Pants, is Lily a millennial? She's a millennial, right? Isn't she? Does she's, I think she's the right age to be a millennial. Um, or is she? No, I don't know. He'll, he'll tape me it's something. Like 80, but, 83 to 92. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, maybe she's Generation Z. I don't know. Um, but anyway, um, I, 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 so Lily Tyson, who's the senior producer of this show, the wonderful senior producer who is shepherding this show on its journey through the galaxy, is, you know, probably, you know, a little bit younger than you. Uh, and I just noticed that. I noticed that that's sort of a just kind of there's a resting existential dread face for people who are younger right now. And I totally get it. Um, I think it's easy for the rest of us to forget about it. I think it's legitimate. I, 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 as long as it's not paralyzing, I think it's an important form of guidance for your own actions and decisions, too. I mean, I, I think it would be scary to be a young person right now, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's definitely scary. And it also doesn't help that a lot of times the older generations kind of downplay our feelings um, as if they're not real. And it's like, it would be nice to be validated sometimes, so that it is nice to be validated. <laughs> yes, well, I totally validate you. I say this, if Lily were here, the, what she would tell me, tell everybody, is that I do everything in my power every single day to, day to trigger uh, existential crises in Lily, just for out of fiendish, <laughs> fiendish impulse. But, um, but I, do, I really do get it. And if I were your age, I would curl into a ball several times a day, and someone would have to come along with the jaws of life and kind of unsnare me from myself. So, you know, you know you're totally entitled to feel existential dread. I mean, what do you have left? Don't let them take your existential dread away. They took everything else. Uh, that is true. Yeah. Pulled the ladder out. They cut the down all the trees and the planet's a fireball and now they won't let you have existential dread? What kind of right. world is that? What kind of... We just got to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, as they say. No, the bootstraps are gone, too. They took those. Maybe if I could afford some bootstraps. Exactly. (laughs) Too much student debt for bootstraps. All right. We have to take a little break. Uh, We'll come back. Uh, Jim wants to talk about bird watching, and Dave might want to talk about the weather, and Luke might want to talk about the Family Guy spoof of the Willy Wonka song. That's, you know, right in our ballpark. The thunder and lightning seem to be having their way but as far as i'm concerned it's a lovely day a turn in the weather will keep us together so i can honestly say We are back. The technical producer, who was just counting me in in my headphones, that was Cat Pastor. You didn't hear that. Uh, and uh, the uh, pr- the producer of this particular episode and the person screening calls is Jonathan McPants. I should say, without going into any details, we have a little bit of a staff shortage problem. We'll have a little bit of a problem with uh, illness and deaths in the family and things like that. And so... Um, 
Uh, first of all, Jonathan was nice enough to drive up uh, and do this today. Uh, he wasn't scheduled to do it. Uh, we'll do our best uh, to re- either record or do live new shows for you this week. It may be a little bit harder than usual. Um, so if you maybe hear an extra rerun or something, bear with us. Bear with us. We're a little shorthanded right now, but it's going to be fine. It's all going to be fine. I don't want to make Kirsten even upset all over again. I mean, I just got her calmed down. The thing about being a millennial is it's like you almost have to be your own mentor because the people who are older than you are not trustworthy. I mean, they're just de facto not trustworthy. Um, so you kind of have to be your own. I, I think that that's I think that's what Lily Tyson does. I think Lily Tyson is her, is her own mentor and, and good honor, I say. Uh, all right. Here's Jim from New Milford on a different topic. Hey, Colin. Hey. Um, her, first off, quick thanks for how much you play the band The Neals. I think they're fantastic and deserve more national credit than they've ever, ever gotten. But I want to call to suggest to people that have any affinity for nature and haven't already to take up the hobby of bird watching, or as we call it this these days, birding. Um, I think a lot of people perceive it as a solo activity, and I have found over almost 50 years of birding in Connecticut that it's almost anything but solo. It obviously can be. Um, Ten, eight days ago, I was standing in New Jersey with literally over 100 people trying to find a red-flanked blue tail from Asia and Siberia. That was the first East Coast record. And the excitement of these people trying to get a spot on this bird that they have never seen before. It was just palpable. And the community it was in was loving us that we were there. But did, did you, did you see it? Watch, day did, or night. Did you see it? Did, yeah, I did. You yeah, did? I like four or five brief looks, some wow. photos. Yeah, it was really a big deal. People flew in. There were people from all over the country who flew in to see this bird. And, um, you know, even just birding in Connecticut, it's, you know, we have over 300 nesters here, and with rarities showing up all the time, um, you have weather events. Um, I know a ton of people that were watching Long Island Sound from different points along our shore, uh, looking for pelagic species that could have been blown in from the south. The wind's blowing into the sound all overnight, and some cool pelagic birds were seen. So it's really um, the Christmas counts are happening right now. That is something you can go out with a group or by yourself, and that's uh, citizen science research that's been going on for like 120-some-odd years. I think this is great. I mean, I actually, first of all, I salute you for your hobby because I think it's also it's a sort of hobby that has low impact on the environment and is probably really good for the environment because obviously you get interested in habitat and preserving habitat and stuff like that. And... um, I'm thinking maybe we should do a show episode uh, on on birding. I've personally seen a hairy justed nutscratcher, an after dinner peewee. I've seen a few things myself, but maybe we just the way we did astronauty week. Maybe we need to do an avionauty week, avionauty week. I don't know. I don't have time to brand it right now, but um, but he makes it sound like it could be exotic and fun. Um, except for like if you go all the way to New Jersey and you don't see the bird. That would suck. Um, all right. So I probably can only put one of these two calls on. We'll, we'll see how things go. Uh, we'll start with Dave in Farmington. Hi, Dave. Hi, Colin. Uh, greetings from uh, up on the side of Talcott Mountain. Uh, just a, a brief, uh, wanted to provide a, a PSA, as it were. Mm-hmm. It's, it's The power just came back on after about, uh, I don't know, six, seven hours. 
Um, so for all of your listeners that are out and about hanging out in coffee cafes and things like that, it, it's safe to go home. The heat's back on. Well, I mean, it, it, it's sort of a case-by-case basis, right? I mean, just because your power came back on doesn't mean everybody's power is on. Well, that's true. And the last I heard, there was like 83,000 people um, that were without power. Um, but what kind of got me was I have this little, you know, crank-up emergency phone uh, radio um, mm-hmm. that I was spinning the dials up and down on and everything like that. And no one on the radio, AM, FM, no matter where I went, was providing any kind of like real-time updates as to what was going on. Yeah. So, I used to have a job where I did that. I used to work for TIC. Uh, we don't do that on public radio, though. Um, although we yeah. do support the idea of crank radios. Because I think, you know, get a workout and and listen to your favorite uh, radio station and I don't, you know, I should get one of those. I, I actually am one of these people, I have like a bag of stuff, you know, like sort of headlamps and stuff like that. And I, I get it out, you know, because it's, I mean, if you have to go through something like that, it's fun to feel as though you're prepared. But you're making me want to get a, a crank radio. I was actually able to charge my phone by cranking on the thing a little bit this morning. That was kind of cool. I, I don't understand how that works, and I'm not sure I, I, I want to ask. I mean, it could be argued that all talk radio is crank radio, but maybe from a different point of view. Uh, and so uh, we're almost done with the show today, but as we get ready for Avian Week, oh, I don't know, should we just go, go or we'll go to Luke. Luke's been waiting. Chip, I don't mind. Don't mind. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of bird imagination. That'll be the theme song for Avian Week. But you're saying that there was a spoof of this very fine piece of music? Yeah, it's it's a spectacular parody. They had an entire episode where Peter goes and tours Pawtucket Pat Beer Factory. Right. And if you aren't aware of the song, once you hear the the parody um that's all i hear now it's a world of pure inebriation so <laughs> <laughs> all right this is by the way he's talking about family guy the animated series yeah. family guy oh, i'm sorry yeah yeah it's i don't a, want it's people a family guy it's a family guy thing yeah i don't want people to think that peter jennings or something was doing this uh but uh but somebody named peter all right so we've come to the end of another ask or tell me anything thank you very much for listening thank you very much for calling and i I hope some of this made some kind of sense to you, but I somehow doubt it.